Hi, and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella. I'm a Women in Film and Television board member and producer at Tile Media and Jumper Productions. This International Women's Day, Women in Film and TV Ireland were delighted to join forces with Screen Producers Ireland, the European Women's Audiovisual Network and Screen Girls of Ireland for a very special panel discussion, hashtag Embrace Equity. Featuring myself, EVA Director of Strategy, Idel Brosnan, Screen Guilds of Ireland CEO, Jess Drum, writer, producer, broadcaster, Ola Magikadumi, Shinawil Head of Business Affairs, Niall Murphy, and Pull the Trigger Executive Producer, Max Brady. We discuss the issues facing women in film and TV today and what a more inclusive industry might look like. Okay, welcome to everybody and, and also welcome to our listeners on the podcast, um, uh, who, which is being recorded for women, women in Film and Television. So uh, I don't do this very often, so forgive me if I'm a little nervous. I'm more used to being the person screaming at the side of the table. Um, so, I, so I'll try my best to, to, to moderate um, in, in a way that does uh, Screen Producers Ireland proud. Um, so before I introduce the, the, the panel, um, I wanted to thank Screen Producers Ireland, Women in Film and Television, uh, Screen Girls Ireland and the European Women's Audiovisual Network for pulling the event together. And on this, which is the 114th International Women's Day, and we still have a very long way to go. And a report yesterday from the European Audiovisual Observatory outlined some really stark statistics and progress is slow to say the least. Um, in European fiction production, only 22% of directors are female, only 44% of producers, 37% of writers, 47% of lead roles, and shockingly, only 8% of composers and cinematographers are women. Then in The Guardian on Monday, um, in the run-up to today for International Women's Day, they reported that the UN Secretary-General is stating that gender equality is still 300 years away. So 300 years before sex is not considered a barrier to equality, and more importantly, equity, which is the theme of International Women's Day 2023. Our theme this evening is gender equity, uh, more so than equality. So our panel is Jess Drum, CEO of Screen Girls Ireland, Fiona Kinsella, who is Women in Film and Television board member and also a producer with uh, two production companies. Then we have Ola Majid-Jakomi, producer and broadcaster, Niall Murphy from uh, Scannon and Raisin Films and Shinawil, and Adele Brosnan from uh, European Women's Audio and Visual Network. So gender equity was actually a new terminology to me. I hadn't heard of it until this week, um, despite the fact that I'm reading about gender equality and all of that in UCD, I hadn't heard about gender equity, so it was a new term. So what I wanted to start with was what does gender equity mean? And I was going to ask Adele um, if she had some thoughts on that. Um, I would say that for me and from my non-academic background, it would be that equality is when people say there are no barriers, you can come into the room, and equity is maybe looking at the barriers that are keeping people out of the room. And anyone else in the panel have anything to add on that about why it's so important? You just make better decisions as a team if it's more equal in that matter. And as well, we should look at the intersectional aspect as well of feminism, you know, people of colour or women of colour 
are a part of that as well. And what does that mean as well for the space? We need to make sure that our teams in front of the camera and behind are more diverse, especially in Ireland, you know, we're having discussions around that, but, you know, the progress is slow. So it's really opening up that discussion. And and do do any of you think, maybe Fiona, you could come in on this about um, the report from the European Observatory yesterday. Is that a, an indication of where things have stalled or where things might be going? I think we're making progress, but it's at a glacial pace and we really need to speed that up. And I kind of wonder, is it to do with that we've made progress in... Mm opening doors for more women directors but they're just at, not at the same level but I don't think so I, I, like it's just like it does feel like we need to move a lot faster than we're actually moving and then how do we do that and I think um, how we do that is um, I don't know just getting up off our arse and doing it and <laughs> um, it's like it's. A, I think it's a multi-pronged approach. So first of all, it's to do with getting in early um, at at school level educating. Um, it's that whole thing about if you can see it, you can be it. So letting um, kids in school know and um, just kind of facilitating them moving into the film industry and ta- and just making them aware of it. Then it's doing what raising films are doing, keeping people in the industry, and um, it's and I hate to say it, I say I, quotas. I think quotas are important, as important as ever, um, because that's a way of keeping people honest. But I, I do think that that's part of it as well. So maybe now if you could come in and then Jess afterwards about retention of, of, of talent, particularly from a Raising Films mm-hmm. perspective and then from the um, the Screen Girls. Yeah, so from, from a Raising Films perspective, we're looking at pathways back into the industry as much as the ability for uh, parents and carers to remain in the industry while undergoing changes in their dynamics and, and becoming either a parent or a carer and uh, and then ba- trying to find that work-life balance. And I mean, we, we we're all aware that the burden of responsibility when it comes to parenting falls disproportionately on the women rather than upon men. As much as we try to 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 adjust to that, it, historically speaking, it's always been that, and there's there's gen there's societal sort of pressures towards that that we need to look towards changing. Only recently have we got paid parental leave. To going towards being equitable between both genders and it's not um, we still have a ways to go there it's not the case like we have in Sweden where it can be divided between the two parents and in whatever way they, they so choose to do that in Ireland it's much more restrictive towards the male than it is towards the female in terms of the, the amount of time off that, that you can get or that you when it comes to parental leave you're allowed to apply for it but you're punished in that you are no longer paid by your employer for that period of time, but you are entitled to social welfare parent payments during that time. So you do have to find that sort of balance. So what Raising Films is looking at is it's doing it has done a number of studies into this. And Dr. Susan Liddy, who's the chair of Women in Film and Television, is also a very vital member of Raising Films, has done quite a lot of work in this in identifying what the problems are, where the where the 
where the opportunities for um, for raising funds to make a difference have been. So we've been in existence for about three years now, and but it's still very much in its infancy. And we're trying to we've spent all that time identifying what we can do. We haven't actually done to this point a practical. Uh, thing within the industry itself other than to raise awareness which I mean, that is but you do at a certain point you do need to move towards it actually introducing things so we looked at the idea of providing maternity care on set the idea of providing um, or providing support mechanisms to parents that are in uh, certain or, or parents or carers who, who have a requirement for a sort of split role uh, being a parent and being a worker and so um, we've seen that some things that some films in the UK have, have been able to do this where they've managed to put in place mechanisms for supporting workers and to our to the great credit of the industry recently it's happened in on obituary and in, in Douglas filming in Donegal and so it managed that uh, a new mother was able to be the primary director on that television series that when it was shooting and was able to get support uh, to to that to, for that and so that's what we need to be doing we need to be doing more of that and it needs to be that being a parent should not should just be another aspect of your being like being red haired or blonde or whatever it's just you're a parent you're grand okay that's next what's the next thing same thing the gender should not be ever a thing that anyone looks at unless it's for a specific thing you know that needs to be that if you have but i mean it should be as gender blind as possible it should be as parental blind or carer blind as possible we should be in a position that we can do whatever we want irrespective of our personal circumstances and and just to pick up on a word Mm -hmm. that you said there um now which was a punishment you know i mean a really key part of uh, what's going on in the whole gender equity arena is that women who do step out to become carers, because it is predominantly women, when they step out, they're no longer earning, they're no longer contributing to the pension pot, and then they're pushed into pension poverty um, at, an, at a later stage um, through public policy, which is not set up around gender equity and, and equality. Um, no, despite the fact that the Constitution still says that a woman's place is in the home, and w- until we decide to change that in November, now that they've given us a bloody date for that. But it's a, it's the case that if the government really felt that for the last you know hundred years, then they would have put in place adequate <coughs> supports for people, women who weren't in the workplace. You know, but never did. So I mean, we our Constitution is founded in a, in a patriarchal way. It was written by an archbishop. So, I mean, we have a long ways to go in terms of just changing the law in this country. Jess, you're a a mother and worked in the the industry for quite some time, Jess, and I go way back. Yeah, I did. And I worked in the camera department for years. And when I got to a point of having children, my husband also works in the industry. um, And it was more often than not that I wouldn't do a job because he was away or longer. So it just didn't really work. And I think... While there were many people that did champion for me, Max among them, to kind of push me into like maybe do this or this is shorter days, maybe it would work for you. There's there wasn't a huge amount of that culture there. And there was, I think, in media, particularly, you have to be all in. That's the idea. You're all in and you're not going to have to leave because your kids need to go to bed or they're sick. Um, And that is changing. And it's changing because in film the last three years we've had a shortage of crew 
but we're also losing crew at a certain age, women in particular, between 30 and 40 are just leaving the industry. Men are too, for burnout reasons, but I think that people then had to go back and go, we're losing crew, but we, we're, we don't have enough people, and job sharing has become a necessity. So I think when it comes to media, people really do uh, think on their feet, and the solutions are there, but not everybody is quick to endorse them, and I think that that has to change and yes there's the laws and, and all that but it's more about culture and people around crew members supporting the people to stay in the industry like do the job where it's shorter hours for a while until you can go back to whatever you were doing before and and I do think that you know we definitely have a long way to go but I think that if I was in the position I was in 15 years ago I would still be working in the industry so you know, at that way. So job sharing when it comes to technical roles, it's not something that we've done here on Raising Films are looking at piloting, which I think it is. And Fiona stole the tagline I was going to use about you have to see it to be it. But but people need to see that it will work. Um, and I think job sharing, it's not the only answer, but it's definitely a very practical solution because the production gets two people, two professionals sharing the role and they really want to make it work so I think that that is definitely something that we can explore um, you know in terms of retaining crew um, because we just we can't afford to lose all the training that we've done and all the hard work people put in to just disappear um, generally speaking so So the the retention of crew is obviously a very important aspect but um, Adele we were talking beforehand a a couple of days ago when we were plotting out this this panel about um, the whole idea of of, is there a business opportunity to to being able to to say well we we have all these policies in place we're doing job sharing you know absolutely I mean the one group that are ahead on this whole issue is the audience I mean, the Netflix business model is predicated on if we made more women-led content, people would watch it. If we made more diverse content, people would watch it. If we made more LGBTQ content, people would watch it. If we made, you know, a broader range of, of content, you know, with, um, you know, people of colour as protagonists, people would watch it. And they did, and they do, and they subscribe because of it. So the problem is the gatekeepers, the problem is that the audience, this doesn't even make business sense. They're not locking women out because we're bad at the bottom line. They're locking us out despite the fact that we're not bad at the bottom line. Now, the good thing is, is that we have data because you can't fix what you can't measure. And there is awareness now since about 2016 when the first report came out, we're looking at the directors from Ava, um, that there is an awareness. Now, the awareness now needs to translate into action. And by that, I mean you know, creating toolkits so that somebody who's crewing up in a hurry, who wants to do the right thing, but doesn't have a big bureaucratic machine behind them like a bank because of the civil service, can can download the right form to say, you know, where do I find people? What conditions could I offer? You know, like flexible working, like maybe one day a week from home, like job sharing. I just sometimes like, don't call me at 10 o'clock at night. Um, and I mean, in PACT in the UK, which is the sister organisation that also introduces Ireland, very much endorses you know diverse hiring, you know both for gender and across all the protected characteristics from a business perspective. 
you want to sell your content in a global market, good luck if everybody went to the same private school in South Dublin, you know? Um, so I think that there is a huge business opportunity here. People who get it right will do better in the marketplace. That's not why we should be doing it. We should be doing it because it's right. However, there are material benefits as well. And, and just to come into that, the whole intersectionality of, you know, increasing our diversity, just our, our diversity of thinking, but also diversity behind the camera, because we're all very used to now ticking the boxes of, mm -hmm. you know, people in front of camera. But the intersectionality of how do we deal with what goes on behind the camera and how do we begin as an industry to deal with that mm -hmm. and to, to make positive change and affect change? Yeah, I mean, Adele made so many amazing points there that I'd like to pick up on. And just in terms of behind the camera, myself and Susan are on the National Talent Academy's committee's steering group. And there we're really making sure that we do give the opportunities out there to people from diverse backgrounds and this is not only about race class as well where you're living in the regions or in the city and just putting the options out there because i think in this industry we're so used to going for the same people we're so resistant to new talent on screen and behind and it's just about taking a risk and using the people out there it's about doing the research you know as i was saying on the zoom call i follow lots of people from different backgrounds that are in the industry and just kind of emerging, you know, people don't really know about them because I don't know why. Maybe it's just because, again, we just want to go for the same people, you know, whose family name, you know, or who you're used to using. So it's really about just opening up our minds to just giving people a chance. And, you know, if you have the skills and you can do it, why not? Why is it not happening? I'm not sure why it's not happening in Ireland. Again, I have to be honest from you know my experience there is a conservative attitudes can i say slightly racist too there is and you know people don't want to admit that but it is there and it's about you know maybe having diversity and inclusion kind of sessions so that people know their unconscious bias in terms of their training and so forth and i know different institutions media institutions in this country are doing that at the moment but like the problem is still there and until we're honest with ourselves, I don't think there's going to be any change really, to be honest. Yeah. And and just picking up on what Ola was saying about regionality, I know both Fiona and Adele and Niall had quite a lot to say about regionality when we, when we were doing our Zoom calls. Fiona, would you like to come in on that? Yeah, it's about, um, I think, creating opportunities um, in the regions as well. So. I moved back to Wexford um, in 2021 and um, I, I started working with Laura Way who you would know and what she's done in Wexford is amazing. She's the whole reason that we have a film office in Wexford and the reason that she did that was because she was a single mother. In order to get training she had to travel up and down to Dublin so that was like paying for petrol and stuff and she had to borrow money for petrol and so she decided um, I'm going to set up training here in Wexford and as a result of that we now have Screen Wexford um, I've been working with her on a writers programme where we took 12 local writers and just like watching how those writers have grown over the space of a year has been one of the most amazing privilege for me to do and it wasn't much it didn't cost a huge amount to do it and um, and 
it's just been amazing to watch them grow and just even not only in terms of skills but confidence and confidence is just so important telling them that they could do this that even because just because they're based down in Wexford doesn't mean that this world isn't open to them and incidentally Laura has just been nominated for an IFTA this week which is amazing I'm just it, it just says something about her resilience and, and just so anyway I just think if we, we all have the ability to do it and to work and help others and and, and change that culture so, so maybe if we uh, go ahead on sorry yeah I was just going to pick up on just the idea of quotas although I do think it can be helpful I am slightly weary about it as well because it is again maybe slightly tick in a box and it's more so maybe going for the person's background rather than the skills, but you, you should have the two anyway, you know, it shouldn't matter, you know, what background you are anyway, as long as you have the skills. So it is, yeah, again, just doing the research really and seeing who's out there. But I think the thing about quotas is it might push people who may not otherwise do the research or do mm-hmm. the legwork to do that. So that's why it's important to keep them there. And it's also, as we see from the statistics, we're not nearly there as you like it's going to take us ages to get there but we're, we're already seeing a kind of a kickback where people are pushing against what we're mm-hmm. trying to do and if we don't keep the quotas there if we don't keep the push on we'll be pushed backwards we can't afford for that to happen that's why they're important i think as well i agree i mean i think quotas wouldn't be necessary in an ideal world but equal pay has been a legal requirement and mandatory since 1957, which is way before I was born. My father's 89, and um, when I was explaining to him, you know, what, what, what this event was about, um, you know, gender equality, the gender pay gap in particular, he said, um, it's not, not being fixed yet, you know, because this was something the unions were talking about quite rightly in the 1980s. And I think the thing about quotas is they will change who gets to be in middle management and in hiring positions in 10 or 15 years' time. And then maybe we won't meet them anymore because the makeup of the decision makers and the gatekeepers will have changed. But we're not there yet. But I also agree with Olga that it's not just... I mean, I will actually disown anyone who says box ticking or send them for training. But, but, you know, it can't just be about box ticking. It also needs to be about actually recognising that you know that talent is out there exactly as you say so what you know why are you not connecting with it i mean as a crude example are you advertising in the right newspapers are you approaching the right facebook groups and i think one of the great things about organizations like screen producers ireland and women in film tv is you can put together toolkits or just contact lists to say okay if you're looking for a dop in limerick these are the people if you're looking for a dop in limerick who's very good around you know neurodiversity disabled people this person's the go-to person you know so you can you can create those talentness there's a really great group in the uk called deaf and disabled people in tv and they work you know their members work at a really senior level they they work on you know um what's it not uh, factual entertainment that's what i'm looking for you know which is really tough it's harder than documentaries harder than fiction their credits have put mine to shame and They've come together and, it, you know, their toolkit is really simple. It's pay for my interpreter, you know, pay for my sign language interpreter and put closed captions on Zoom meetings. And then I'll be able to complete and, you know, outperform, you know, um, non-deaf um, and 
non-disabled um, competitors. And nobody's asking for favours. This isn't because, oh, well, we're just going to have to drop standards and let a few people in the door. The quality is there. You know, we can see it every year. I mean, it doesn't get nominated for awards, but the audience, as I say, is finding the content. I mean, you know, um, one of my top 10 films of the last 10 years is Atlantique by um, uh, Dio. And it's, you know, the, the content is there and the quality is there. So it's just a matter of connecting the employers to the employees in a gig economy. And that is challenging, but it's not to, to back up some of the figures there, so as of today, 91% of companies in Ireland said that or that have reported on the gender pay gap because it's now <coughs> a statutory requirement. 91 have a gender disparity that's pro-male in terms of pay. 6.7% is the average is the the average disparity in terms of uh, male to female in terms of wages, and it is but the mean is two percent in favor of female to male. So, the, so it turns out that at the same rates around the middle of the band, women are paid slightly more than men. But once we get into the executive position and the higher positions, is because it's so male skewing, it skews the, the metrics beyond that. So, it, so that so they are we're seeing in terms of dis- disabled people, twenty percent of disabled females are in active employment. That is versus 49% of able-bodied females uh, in, in active employment. 28% of male um, uh, disabled males are in active employment versus 68% of male able-bodied males are in active employment. So there is there is definitely a huge uh, disparity between uh, between the genders in in that in, in the able-bodied and disabled-bodied things, but especially between able-bodied and disabled. Staggering the, the, the disparity. So I, I want to bring it back into sustainability in two ways. One is the the retention of talent, because as a producer, and um, both in commercials and in scripted drama, and um, the 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 inability to be able to crew up sometimes has been has been really difficult, particularly the last year or two, um, because we, we don't we've lost a lot of talent, as as Jess has pointed out. Um, so I'd like to talk about the sustainability around that in terms of um, retention and how we have a currently unsustainable business because there aren't enough people to service the work and we have burnout happening and people dropping out of the business but also the sustainability in terms of regionality because we are pivoting quite quickly towards sustainability very quickly which we also did at COVID. We, We are a very agile industry that pivots very very quickly but we're not pivoting on this one. And I'd love to know your thoughts on why aren't we pivoting? Jess, maybe you first. Um, I don't know the answer to why no. we're not. I can't <laughs> I can't say that I do, but but I do think that like the you know, Fiona's point earlier about the regionality does tie into retention as well, because so many people I know that work in film are based in Dublin or Wicklow because that's where the work was primarily that's not where they're from you know my husband's from Donegal if he thought he could move back there he would but if you know if maybe we were near family we could have I could have stayed in the industry so support network and you know there's so many there's so much need for that the regionality when it comes to talent as well you know like people like Laura is a good example but there's so many people have had to not they can't afford to live in certain areas when they're not working and you know so I think that 
the, the support system has to be there to retain people as well. So by spreading it out all over the country, it does definitely mean people can stay where they're from, ideally, um, and where they have support network. But like in terms of the rest, I do think, and I, I said it before, but I do think it's a culture shift that needs to happen. And I don't know why that's not happening. Um, but I think that like sometimes the people that, you can lead by example, that's all any of us can do. And I do think that it, you can show the way and others will follow. So if you could be doing a job that's difficult, but somebody's supporting you, then when you're in a position to help someone else, you will. And it's not just women, it's carers or, you know, you will kind of cast the net out wider. The problem is that we lose those people in the middle. So they're not there to show the next group of people coming up. Um, and I think that that's something that very slowly, but it is changing. So I kind of, I'm seeing, there's a lot of hope, I think, at the moment that, you know, people are being given. And, you know, to your point, Ella, it shouldn't be box ticking or tokenism and but but while it's helping people that need the help let's let's do that but but like you're not going to stay in a job if you're not suited to it but you know to get the boost and the head start it's great and like there's lots of networking events happening now and it's becoming much more important that it's not about who you know what your family name is it's you met somebody at a, an event and you exchanged details and they remembered you, so they gave you a call for that, their next project. It's not as closed shop as it, people believe it to be, always. Um, and I think that the more conversations like this happen, the more it just brings it into our awareness as well to think about when you're hiring, why you're going to this particular, pop, you know, and I think, you know, Screen Ireland have a, a database now, which I think will open up uh, the accessibility to everybody <laughs> is free to put in their details and there will be if you're going to a certain region you can search that region you know so i do think that'll help as well because it makes it much more like the biggest question is how do i get a job in film and it's hard it's a hard one to answer it is um, and, and it's it is changing and and i think that it's changing quite quickly because that's the start of what we need to do and if you don't know how to work in film i didn't know when I was in school, that this was a job. I wanted to work in RTE and I was told by somebody that that wasn't a job that women did. So I went, oh, okay, cool. And, you know, other than there's lots of people that don't know that it's, you know, a really interesting way to make a living. So I think that, I, I just think that's a good start and, and events like this where you can meet other people and help each other out. Um, and there's a lot of crew have always helped crew in Ireland in my experience <laughs> but there are barriers so I think that by breaking down those kind of stigmas as well around oh you have kids well you know you'll probably have to go home early or people don't mind that anymore they're so happy to have you there for those nine hours they don't mind if you go home early so that's great as well I think that's quite promising I have to say that the fact that everything is so busy now and it's so hard to find crew maybe is it working to our advantage for this because people have to work a little bit harder to find new people that they haven't worked with before and maybe uh, take risks on somebody that they don't necessarily know and if it pans out that's great just giving that person a leg up yeah it is really about lifting people up because if you're getting someone completely new into the industry and maybe they're doing an internship in a company what happens after that internship? For a lot of people, that's the end. So of course they're going to leave the industry because it's a gig economy most time. 
And, you know, people want to make a living, especially if you're coming from a working class background. You want to lift up yourself, uh, your career. So how are you going to make a living from that? You know, it's also that. And also just coming back to the flexibility as well. It's about understanding. I think we can all agree that sometimes the industry can be a little bit toxic in certain aspects. Just, you know, if you're on set and sometimes I think there can be a bit of a hierarchy aspect and certain people in lower roles maybe you know feel a bit dominated by and so on but it is about just creating an open atmosphere and making everyone feel at ease and comfortable as well in their role and feeling like they can be there they're not being intimidated by it that's another thing i think that we we as an industry can work on too i think there's so much we can learn from other industries i was really shocked the first time i had a talk with somebody who um was working in the city in London in banking, which I presumed was just going to be much worse than the industry I worked in. And when she was reading off all the reasonable adjustments she was getting as a parent, I was speechless. I mean, this was banking. This was the bad guys. You know, the army is way ahead of, of the media. You know, we are, we are the problem industry. We're not nice. You know, we're nice people, but there are structural problems and we haven't bothered addressing them. And I think one of the things that, that really comes in here is where intersectionality becomes real. It's like for both class and for gender, what's driving people out is not getting paid enough. It's a gig economy. You need more money. And women earn less because we're, we're conditioned to say, yes, please, that'll be the nice. That sounds like a very nice day, right? Thank you for paying me. Uh, instead of saying, well, I don't want to go to bed for more than 400 euros a day, as an example. And that, you know, these these are the things that are pushing people out. You can afford to, you know, sofa surf and, and live a, a bohemian life and you know you're starting out. But eventually you actually need to have a roof over your head and you think you need to say to yourself, Well, Microsoft will pay me more. And that's why we lose people. That's why we lose working class people as well. Channel Four did a really interesting study about the class ceiling in T V and fair play to them for actually owning it. Because everybody else has said, Oh no, you know, if you're talented, you can make it. Well, you know, lots of people make it in the door, but as you say, it's staying in that's the real mm-hmm. challenge. And I think, you know, exactly what you've been talking about, the, 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 the loss of mid, middle-level um, female mentors. Um, you know, nobody wants to talk about money, but money is the problem here, you know. And um, there is pay transparency legislation coming through from Europe which means that it will be much, much easier to find out, well, okay, if I'm going in as, you know, a, you know, a casting producer or, you know, a, a junior researcher, what's the pay pay range? What can I ask for? That will be much, much easier and that will help. It's going to be very difficult to implement that for in the, the current structure of how Irish productions and productions in general are created because they don't exist for a full calendar year. Yeah, yeah. And I, we need to feed that right back to Europe, and we need to try and get them to rekindle their conversations around flex security. But again, I just keep coming back to what can we learn from other industries? You know, where else is the gig economy really, really big? And, you know, what are they doing right that we're not doing right? Or what are we doing better than they're doing? And I think one of the things is we talk to ourselves about this, that it would be really useful to talk to, say, people who are working in, you know, um, startup sector, for example, um, or people who work in, you know, you know, publishing and advertising are that far apart. They're a little bit different, but I think we have to, we have to, you know, we have to be less shy about talking about money 
Now I'm screenwriter by trade. And it's quite funny, nobody in Britain talks about money except screenwriters. We always tell each other what the going rate is. And it's a real leveller. And it's such a great act of solidarity from the better paid screenwriters and the more successful ones. But they will literally say, this is what I get for our... Say it in secret. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what they say. But, um, but we have to create that culture where, you know, hi, how are you? What are you getting per hour? Is not considered strange. Yeah. I mean, the word culture keeps coming up. So, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit about what the culture is. And um, certainly my experience of um, set culture over the years, not anymore and uh, not on my sets anyway, um, is it has always been quite hegemonic right? where, uh, you know, it's been patriarchal, hegemonic. It's been laddish. It's been, you know, all of that. And there's lots of banter and stuff like that. We now try to engender in our sets um, more of a, a more accepting. Everybody should be having fun. You know, it's not. It's it, this is a, an incredibly privileged industry that we work in. We are very privileged to work in it, um, and we need to open that privilege up to to all sorts of other people. Is there anything that any of you think will help to change the culture, um, which then possibly makes it better, to, easier to retain talent, and also to bring in new participants? definitely hiring more women because just like I said there the set can be very laddish like I was working with a company that was you know all female but then when I go on set it's all male and it's like what's happening here you know it's really about making it 50 50 all the time as well and yeah just having an open dialogue about it and a place that's comfortable for all because as I said it can be intimidating and I've gone to like Irish language sets that sometimes I get looks like, why is she here? And I'd, I'd be very active in the Irish language scene. And that's still happening to me. So it's really just more representation is key. Do we maybe need to do more around unconscious bias in it when when productions start up? Like, do we need to do more around unconscious bias and challenge in that? Is that something that might... I think unconscious bias is a really good starting point. Mm. I think I worry when companies start to use it as a fig leaf. You know, we're yeah. nice, we did the training. Um, yeah. But I think it, I mean, when my husband did it, it was great because he, he thought he was going to come up with things. Turned out he's really, really ageist. <laughs> um, but I think what's really good about it is that everybody has something. And then it just, it just makes you a bit humbler about it and just a bit more open. Um, I think the other thing as well is that in the UK, and not that I'm holding up the UK as post boy for anything, but in the UK, um, Ofcom has forced um, quotas on the terrestrial broadcasters. If you're getting a share of the public pot, you have to go through the 10 protected characteristics in the Equality Act, which are the same as the ones in the EU effective. And you have to say what you're going to do about them. And you have to set numbers. And it's been really good at actually creating interesting conversations inside the broadcasters you know sky are targeting one particular set the bbc have a different target channel four have a different target they've actually got very energized about it and are kind of enjoying it mm. and it's a very strange thing that something that they were compelled to do actually makes them <laughs> get us yeah. yeah, it's yeah. the same. So now if you do a, a television show for any of the UK broadcasters, you have to fill in the form before and after based on those criteria. And it actually gets you to to think about these particular criteria as you're, especially as you're proving up or as you're doing, you're like, oh, I, why don't we have these? Why don't we have, you know, 
more LGBTQ representation, why don't we have people from different backgrounds or whatever? And it helps. And what we've seen is that working on the sustainability side and in terms of the environmental sustainability is that it's having a positive impact and Anthony would know more than anybody here about that, but that's having a positive impact in terms of it's actually lowering costs. Being sustainable is in the long run is better for the production in terms of lowering costs. So also diverse hiring is lowering costs as well and everything else. If you if you have people there who can give the life experience, your scripts are going to be better, everything is going to be better. You're going to it's going to make more sense in the long run. So, yeah, I know, I mean, I, I encourage that anyway, the reporting aspect of it, if nothing else. Look, take a look at your at the, each of the departments, take a look at the, each of the productions and go, why aren't, why are we not more diverse or inclusive or okay. I think data is the secret weapon here. I mean, the reason we're even having this conversation is because, you know, the figures started coming out in the, in the, you know, the last 10 years, you know, that, that women were not being employed in the numbers, even though they wanted to be there, you know, I think before that they just said, oh, they don't mind doing that, you know, they've got work pressure. And, um, and then once you have the data, it's very, very hard for people to hide from it. Mm. Then what you need to do is translate that into action, but the data is a really good starting point. And what Niall was talking about there is, is Project Diamond. If you make a program for, for UPTV, you're expected to report back on what you actually did. And then that, you know, that's anonymous. And it's not done by role, and it's not even done by production, which you know the unions aren't particularly happy about. But what it does mean is that you at least have a snapshot of of things like regionality, um, of things like you know um, ethnic diversity, but also things like faith groups, age, disability, and gender, so that you actually know what's really going on in the industry, and that gives you something to improve on. Yeah, we're talking a lot here about the UK and I do think we actually need to mirror some of the things that they do, like the schemes, especially the trainee schemes. I mean, here in the Republic, you don't really get any kind of schemes like that, you know, with certain public broadcasters. It's just knowing someone, literally taking a chance. And that's just not, it's not fair. It really isn't. So it, it, it is really like looking at how we can better the industry for everyone, to be honest. Yeah. And even with Channel 4 as well, like, they're really big on giving funding to productions that are diverse, and I love them for that. And we need to do a similar thing here as well. You, when we were talking, Niall, beforehand, you were um, before we started the, the panel, you were talking about some Screen Ireland projects and reports. Um, I just wonder, could you yeah, so, so talk a little bit about that? We're now just over seven years into the... So in November of 2015, Screen Ireland announced the six-point action plan on gender. So it was basically, it was their plan to uh, to promote, to get to 50-50 by 2020 was, it was the short term of it. They did that. We did not get to 50 by 2020. We didn't get terribly far away, though. Um, but what happened, what, what we've seen is that there has been certain really good uh, initiatives that were started. So there was the, uh, the, the POV, the so there used to be low budget scheme called Catalyst, and then they introduced something called POV, which is specifically aimed at female filmmakers. And it was a, it gave a certain amount of money, and it made I think it was five films, and they've all been very very good. But it was it was because what what came out of it is that the women were these the female film directors were given this pot of money. They made very good films, but they made it with very little. And so what we just saw was the huge increase in the number of female directors, female writers, and whatever 
but in terms of actual money that was being allocated towards them, that wasn't quite as equitable. So we had the case where we had we got towards almost 50-50 in terms of the, the directors, but in terms of the actual budgets of those directors, it was just over a million of the average budget for a female director, and it was closer to four million as the average budget for the male directors. So it wasn't. So it's not as simple as a pure numbers game. It was more quantitative behind that as to what was happening. So it's, we are seeing that the industry, because it was measured on, on directors, producers, and, and uh, writers. And so we got to equity, almost equity on directors, we got to equity on writers, and we already were at equity on producers, and producers tend to skew slightly female in terms of, of the overall numbers anyway. <coughs> so yeah, it, so between 2015 and, and 2021, we have seen that, that, that we've moved towards and we've had some great things. If you look at the European reporting that's been done on, on the last four years, Ireland is somewhere in the middle on writers, somewhere in the middle on directors, way up on cinematographers, which is being skewed completely by two female cinematographers <laughs> that have been making shows in this country and not by, because of anything else. I mean, they're brilliant and they were cinematographers and normal people, but they, they, it's because and conversation with friends. And so as a result, television, female cinematographer, massive number, but it's based on two people and two productions primarily. So that that's not that's not perfect. So there's, there's always a case that you need to dial behind the figures and to look at the why is this and what is this rather than the oh that looks really good Ireland's way up in female cinematographers but no it's not you know so it's that's what we're seeing is that the the budget levels at which that while we have nearly reached equality in terms of of that that the budget levels that that females are operating at versus males is still a long way well, I'm going to come in on that in terms of uh, you think it's bad in, in, in scripted drama and television, you should be in commercials uh, because uh, uh, there's quite a few commercials producers in, in the room here, including Fiona and, um, uh, and myself. And the problem that we face in commercials is they want to see the showreel. Right? And because the f- women aren't getting the breaks, they don't have the showreel to be able to get the work. And the work then goes elsewhere. Um, and, you know, and, and I do see... A lot of female directors that I've been talking to over the years um, who have done it in TV have, have, are, are going quite stratospheric in television and scripted drama, but they can't catch a cold in the commercials world because they don't have the showreel. And then it's like, well, they've done all this drama. That doesn't mean they can do a commercial, you know, and it's it's a really difficult um, situation. And an Oscar-nominated director didn't get a commercial work. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so... Whatever your own experience and out there, it's worse somewhere else. Um, but anyway, let's not. It's also true in the scripted side as well. And so what, what we see is that we want to attach an unproven female director or female writer or whatever. And they, the financiers go, no, yeah. you need to have yeah. this. So we hire a 75-year-old male, white male, to, to direct yeah. instead of the 30-something-year-old female that we originally wanted. And so as a result, you're like, okay, yeah. really? We wanted to... I'm not saying this and that's not to be ageist in any way, but we did what we wanted for the show was a fresh, young dynamic. Yeah. That was, you know, so. That's where the POV schemes were brilliant, though, because yeah. people got their show reels 
And even though, like I take your point about the budget, but it did give women the opportunity to then have their showreels and then yeah. get the opportunity to. And I, I actually like a big fan of that model. Um, oh no, I'm more of that. Yeah, and it, then you go, you can use that director because they've done the POV scheme, but so the, it kind of helps everyone. That brings us back to one of the stats in the pre-presenter report there, um, earlier t- yesterday. So there's one kind of statistic to do with women getting their first feature film, and then that falls off dramatically for them getting their second one, mm-hmm. which yeah. is. So five women in Ireland have made more than three scripted drama movies fine that's it <laughs> wow <laughs> it's um it's you know it's but it is i think you were the one fiona said about three pronged approach and it has to be at all levels yeah. you need to follow those people through the new entrance people coming in they need to be minded because you know, there's quiet times, you might not get work, but you need to have that network of people that can say, well, we're doing this workshop on script writing or whatever it might be to keep them in it. So yeah, like I, I would agree that it's obviously not the answer to everything, but I, I did think, and I hope that it continues because it, it gave a start where one wasn't already there at the time, yeah. but to follow those people and keep nurturing the talent. And I think that we all do that anyway, unofficially, and yeah. it's just good to have that network and conversations like this to be able to connect everybody together to where they need to be. Yeah. It's quite a it's quite an interesting dynamic that we have in our industry when you don't get a call for a couple of days. You might have been like, oh, you know, flat out for, for weeks and then somebody doesn't call you for a couple of days and you start to panic. <laughs> you know, that day, uh, what have I done? Um, I, we're going to start wrapping it up um, towards questions. Uh, I did want to also come back to allies because, um, yes, we are. It's International Women's Day, and we're talking about gender equity. But you know, I, I would like to talk a little bit about allies and how the importance of allies. And I'm going to let you answer that first, Niall, because you brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is that I mean, I, I, I say it frequently is that any man who isn't a feminist is a moron, um, because I mean, you have to. You have to, how, how can you not be pro-women? Because if you're not pro-women, you're anti-women, and then that's really not good. Like, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's again to that whole Antifa thing. It's like, okay, you, you know, you're like, ooh, Antifa, right? Oh, that sounds good. But you're anti-fascist. Okay, so that's good. So if you're not, if you hate Antifa, you're pro-fascist? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous because I, I can't see why but the thing but the thing is that change cannot come from the affected it has to come from the effectors right so the fact that the gatekeepers have been predominantly middle class white males and you know, i am one of those is that you have to so we i we have to acknowledge that we have to acknowledge our own privilege and that we have to then say how can we use this for the betterment of everybody else and that's the case i mean we, we, everyone needs everybody needs an ally Everybody needs a hand. Everybody needs somebody that's supportive in some way. And some of my very best ones have been women. I was very lucky to work for four years for Rebecca Flanagan, and the whole of Flanagan clan are the biggest bunch of allies that you'd ever meet in your life. They, the way that they help one another is inspirational. But it's just, um, yeah, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, one of the first people when I decided to move into the film industry that I went to to ask questions was Birch Hamilton. Of the screen directors guild because 
because I knew her, I liked her, and I respected her, and it was a case that I never even thought about whether or not the fact that she was a woman or a man it never crossed my mind. It was like, this is Birch, I like her, she's good, you know. So that's, and that's what, how it has to be. That's how we have to be. And we have to be able to identify where we can be useful as well and where we can reach down to pull somebody up, you know? And yeah, because I mean, otherwise we're pulling the ladder up behind us and we're just, we're just stuck on this boat that's full of old white men. And you're like, okay, that sounds like the worst gay holiday ever. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else that's Manola, Jess? Yeah, just mirroring what Nala was saying there, really just bringing people along with you, to be honest, and bringing them up and just seeing them progress, you know. There's a lot of satisfaction to get from that as well, just helping someone else and progressing their career. From yeah, I think, I think I would echo that, but it's also when you start off the industry, it can be quite a lonely thing. Like you said, the phone stops ringing and all of a sudden you're just not working. And I think that we should all be allies. And I do think that the crew are, will always nurture each other when they're on the set, but it's that bit in between the quiet times, but people just go, well, I was just offered a job with Microsoft, so I'm going to take it. Cause you know, and I think that that's, you know, and we haven't, I, one other thing I wanted to say about retention of crew to go back to that was the hours and the unpredictability of the hours, even when you're on a job is a factor. And that's something that we are talking about and we're all aware of it. And, you know, there's reasons for it sometimes, but the long hours was kind of in a research project that we did recently. Um, it was one of the, re the main reasons that people have thought about leaving or left the industry in the last five years. So, there is a problem, and I know that it's not just an Irish problem, it's a, an industry problem, but it's a discipline thing, and we can all, you know, that's a, it's a job-sharing thing, but I do think that, like, slowly but surely, we are getting there, you know, and, and people are being, uh, Irish crew are quite sound, generally, en masse, and, and want to bring the talent in and nurture them, and that culture is kind of the people that want to protect their own turf. It's kind of aging out a little bit um, and the new generation and the bystanders are not allowing uh, behaviour that was once tolerated and I think that's quite nice to see. Absolutely. I, I've worked all over the world and I have to say Irish crew are the best um, right. uh, from anywhere I've worked. So. Yeah. Um, I would just like to, because yeah, so, sorry, apologise for stating the obvious, but Ava's sort of like um, take my message for this year is that women are not a homogenous group. And that allyship is about recognising the additional barriers faced by women of colour, faced by LGBTQ women, faced by women with disabled. And as soon as Lydia's amazing book, Falling Off Her, um, highlights um, women over 40 in the industry. Um, and I'm old enough to think 40 is young, so I'm quite shocked by that. Um, and I think that that's the other thing, is, is to say that yes, we, we are behind the curve um, as women, but we also need to be looking at who within our, our team, our tribe, is facing yet more barriers. Yeah, would you like to talk about allies? Yeah, I think it's, I'm going to wrap up um, we also the other day, it's kind of be send. And <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the easiest thing that you can do, is just look around you and, and pay attention to other people and just help them if they need help and keep the door open and be available and just be sound and kind and supportive. And, um, yeah. I think that's it and also I think I'm going to change the subject again I think 
let's just keep the push on and keep the, the, the foot down and keep moving forward and stop any kind of slippage. We're, we're making progress and let's work harder. Thank you very much. I think uh, we'll, we'll start wrapping up because there's drinks upstairs. Um, but uh, it all comes down to the universality of man. And uh, I read a quote before I came in here, which was by a spoken word poet on the International Women's Day website. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but what she said was, um, it starts with us. Um, so I say thank you very much to Susan and screen, and screen producer Ron for organising the event. And thank you all for your attention. If you would like to support the work we do, check out our website, wft.ie.